welcome to True Crime Medieval, 1,000 Years of People Behaving Badly. I'm Ann Brannan, and I'm your host in Albuquerque. And I'm Michelle Butler in Tuscaloosa. Usually, we have a crime or a purported crime that we are focusing on, and I bring a lot of the historical context and whatnot, and Michelle goes and finds very interesting things concerning scholarship and who's making bad movies or whatnot. Uh, Today, we're doing things a little bit differently because I have been otherwise engaged with various sorts of health things, and so we're having a special episode today. Our April Fool's episode is going to consist of Michelle telling me a hell of a lot of stuff about a thing I know nothing about because there wasn't any way that I could go research this thing. So it's Michelle's hour and I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to be reacting. I have no idea. I've heard none of these things. In fact, I forget what the hell the name of this is. Michelle, what are we doing? So today we are investigating the question for our April Fool's episode about whether shame flutes were a thing in the Middle Ages. Please describe a shame flute as I have no idea what one might be. (laughs) So if you go and Google shame flute, what you will find is a whole bunch of articles and blog posts all claiming that in the Middle Ages, bad musicians were punished by being publicly shamed by having a faux instrument that kind of looks like a clarinet, but it has an iron ring that would be clamped around your neck and metal plates to squash your fingers into place. It's not a real instrument. It just looks like one. And you will absolutely find pages and pages and pages of Google results claiming that this was a real thing. And they're all citing each other and and reputable places are citing this okay so qi reposted this which surprised me qi is very very qi is on the money usually yeah usually usually you know i'm i was very surprised to find qi retweeting stuff about the shame flute but lots of lots of bloggers talk about it and um, reputable sites and of course also you know maybe less reputable ones like ripley's believe it or not but it's all over the place. Well, was this something, where is this supposed to have happened? Because I know that I've never come across anybody getting <laughs> forced to wear shame flutes in the English archives, but perhaps it was in Germany or something? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. Everything about it is very general. All the discussions are very general. It's just in the Middle Ages, Oh, 1,000 years. Right. When when I put this, I put this on the list because I had run across it and it, it, it kind of set off my bullshit meter, you know, but stranger things have happened. Maybe it was a real thing. And I wanted to find out. The children of Hamlin actually really disappeared. So, hey, yeah. People really did dance themselves until they collapsed. So, you know, I wasn't willing, I, I was skeptical, but I wasn't willing to just kind of write it off. I, want, I wanted to have the opportunity to go look at it. And, you know, one of the reasons that it set off my bullshit meter is that there's a known history of invented fake torture devices, which are then attributed to the Middle Ages. Yes, I believe a bunch of them are in various sorts of museums where, you know, you can go and look at torture devices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That were actually created by the Victorians, yeah. 
Exactly. So there's known there's things like the brazen bull, which we know is not a real thing. This is this is that idea that you make a bull out of brass and then you stick your enemy in it and then you light a fire under it and you like roast them to death and their screams coming out of the bull's throat makes it sound like the bull is bellowing. Didn't happen, huh? This is not a real thing. What it is, it's not even a medieval fake thing. No, it's a classical fake thing. Exactly. It's a classical fake thing that that one classical dude is attributing to somebody else, a Greek who lived like 150 years earlier, but it's it's not real. It's not real. The pair of anguish is another kind of famous. The what? Made, the pair of anguish. The it's pair sure. of anguish, like pears, like you might make it a lovely gingerbread pear thing out of. Yes, it's a device that's shaped like a pear that has petals that open up with a, with a screw device. And the idea is that you insert it into a, an orifice and then screw it open. Mm-hmm. But there's no evidence that this is actually a thing. And the engineering people who take a look at the surviving ones say that there is no way that that is strong enough, that the winching device is strong enough to open up in anybody's orifice of any sort. When was it invented? Is this 18th, 19th century? What is it? The the heyday for fake torture devices is the 19th century. Yeah, yeah. The Victorians have a lot to answer for. They do. One of the one of the best known fake medieval torture devices is the Iron Maiden. Of course. Of course. That shows up all the time. I see that on the TV constantly and so it must be true. There was a really well-known example of this in Nuremberg, which is important. So remember that for later. Yeah, Nuremberg. And it's and it's an early one too. There are references to this in the 18th century, but the surviving fake ones are from the 19th century. <laughs> they had to create some to match the things that had been made up in the 18th century. Yeah, and then pretend it was the Middle Ages that thought them up. See, that's the thing. And if, if you're going to have something that's like truly outrageous, you might as well say that it happened in the Middle Ages. Everybody will believe you. Bram Stoker helped popularize. It was famous in Germany as a fake thing. Um, well, uh, believed to be a real thing, but it was. It started out in Germany. It was really famous in Germany. And then Bram Stoker must have seen it, I guess, when he was traveling and went home and wrote a story, a horror story, in which the Iron Maiden features prominently. He has a lot to answer for, too. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> he, he writes a story. He writes a story, the name of which is that na- that word we're not supposed to use anymore for Native American women. Uh-huh, yes. Uh-huh, okay. So in the story, two English honeymooners go to Nuremberg, and they are in the museum. They see an American tourist there. The American tourist on his way, he's just early version of that ugly American tourist who goes away and talks louder to people and and is going to Europe to see things, but complains about all of them. Mm -hmm. You know, arrogant and disruptive. Says, says, how much is this in real money? Yeah. So this tourist outside of the museum picks up a stone and throws it at a kitten. And he meant to throw the, he meant to scare the kitten, but he actually smacks the kitten in the head and kills it. Okay. We hate him. And the mom, the mama cat watches him 
and he's freaked out a little bit and he is reminded he, he the the kit the cat mama's eyes remind him of this story he heard about a native american woman whose child was killed by the u.s military and sets out to take her revenge so foreshadowing Anyway, ugly American tourist goes into the museum and in front of the horrified honeymooners bribes the museum curator to put him in the Iron Maiden because he wants to, he wants to go home and tell the story about how he was in the Iron Maiden. And this particular version of it is laid out horizontally where it has a rope that winches up the top. So he gets into it and the cat mama comes flying at the curator biting and scratching and hissing and he lets go of the rope boom uh-huh. take out the ugly american tourist this was a wildly popular story in the english-speaking world and is for many people the in the english-speaking world the introduction to the iron maiden so bram stoker i like the cat <laughs> this is not even the only time cats will show up in my collection of random crap today <laughs> Very well. So we're talking about fake torture devices. So there's this history. There's this history of fake torture devices, just made up stuff in general. Mm -hmm. But then there's also a tendency to push some early modern shaming stuff back onto the Middle Ages. Right. So things like the Scold's Bridal were real, but they weren't medieval. Nope. It's it's early modern public shaming. This is one of my favorite pieces of this particular part. Most of these made-up torture devices are 18th and 19th century, but in 2005... Oh, no, 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 a hoax article was put on Wikipedia about the Spanish tickler, <laughs> which supposedly was a torture device in the Spanish Inquisition, which kind of looks like a rake, but with really sharp blades. Yeah, nobody expects it. <laughs> I certainly did not expect one of these fake devices to date from 2005. What the hell? And it has gone wild. You will see this one repeated everywhere as if it's real. And we know for sure what its origin is. So, you know, torture happens, of course, in the Middle Ages. We talked about it a lot on the podcast. But these kind of elaborate, custom-made torture objects? No. It was really actually usually much simpler. It's not that hard to hit people with a hammer, you know? You already have the hammer. You don't have to go to any extra work. Refining steel is a lot of work and very expensive. Nobody's going to do that. All right. So here's what I have for you about the shame flute specifically. Okay. Okay. There are exemplars held in two museums. Nuremberg! One, yes. Well, close to Nuremberg. One is the Museum of Medieval Crime in Rothenburg, Germany, which is about an hour from Nuremberg. And one is the Torture Museum in Amsterdam, which I do not recommend that you go try to Google and find its website, because if you do, you find a malware site. So I don't know what has happened to its to its museum website, but I know that I had to click away from there and run a scan with my trend micro. Neither of these are exactly what you would call highly reliable sources. They're sensationalized collections of highly questionable items. There are no examples of this item in any reputable museum. Yeah, the, the torture museums are usually essentially tourist traps. 
That's exactly what these are. I remember Brian and I were in Amsterdam in 2014 and we walked past this and it was closed. Oh my God, that would be interesting. But we didn't end up going back to it because we were only there for like a day and a half and we were prioritizing Van Gogh. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad we did that. I would prioritize Van Gogh too. <laughs> I actually emailed both museums requesting information on provenance and dating, but have not received a reply. No, you wouldn't, would you? But audience, the lengths to which Michelle will go to try to find the truth. I tried. This was the best research project I've had in months. It was great. The only information about the dating of either objects is a Ripley's Believe It or Not video. I just, uh, I'm just not cool with having to rely on a Ripley's Believe It or Not video. I don't think that, no, that's, that's not a reputable scholarly site, no. But it literally is the only thing about these that provided a date. And it dates it to the 17th century. But there's no information about Providence there either. This is the very first time in the podcast where I have emailed a colleague and asked for help. Oh, whoa. I know, right? I um, I emailed, it would be a stretch to say friend, but certainly a colleague I admire a lot who is, so I'm more of a fan, it's more of a fangirl relationship than than. We sort this on down. Yes, yes. <laughs> Who is an expert in medieval music, um, Dr. Richard Rastel, who's professor emeritus at the um, professor emeritus at the University of Leeds, and I asked him, "Have you ever heard of this?" And he said, "No, no." He told me, in fact, that the instrument that is seemingly represented in the shame flute object and in the image that always accompanies it in discussions is decidedly not medieval. Uh huh. So we have that authority saying this is bunk in terms of it being a medieval object, which I'd kind of already figured out, but I was glad to ask somebody. Do you have questions at this point? So the earliest, the, the things that we have that are in the museums, the, the museums two. around yeah. it, uh, we don't know exactly how old they are, but Ripley's thinks that they're from the 17th century. Yeah. Okay. So... That brings me to the image. There's this. There's a same picture that accompanies every article about the shame flute. Uh huh. It shows a man locked into the shame flute with a caption, and it's in German: "Shameful flute for bad musicians." Hmm. Gosh, that looks super convincing, doesn't it? There's this illustration of the thing in action. No, because I'm already wondering. Why do we actually have to torture bad musicians? I mean, we already, you know, either throw things at them or don't go to the gigs. I mean, it's there's ways to deal with bad musicians that are just so much easier than creating this thing. It's also super not a medieval picture. Mm -hmm. Is it a woodcut? Nope. It's, it's a color image. Huh. It turns out it is from a series of postcards published and reprinted by Ernest Nister, publisher in Nuremberg in the 1890s and early 20th century. Like a series of postcards of, of what? Of, of medieval things or fake medieval things? Or... <laughs> it is a series of 10 postcards <laughs> that, that essentially are showing ye old public humiliation. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. 
Would you want to know what they are? Yes, I, I, I translated all of them using Google Translate. I mean, I was committed because they're all in German. Okay, so just a little sidebar for a moment. Who the heck wants to send a public humiliation postcard? They're real postcards on the back with places for you to write the address and everything. I, I, I don't know those people, but I guess they existed. I, I don't know. They must still exist because right now you can go to a website and order Christmas ornaments. I wish I were joking, but I am not. You can order these images on Christmas ornaments. Yeah, what's, what is Christmassy about the, sh the, the parade of shame devices? I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, we say 1,000 years of people behaving badly. It's also sometimes, you know, people behaving either stupidly or incomprehensibly. And I, in here, this is it. Okay, what are the shame devices? Okay, here you go. One is called Punishment of a Scoundrel. And it shows a woman wearing a metal scolds bridle. She's got a, a, a cage over her head that's kind of shaped like a horse's head. And it's chained to the pole behind her. And the sign that she's wearing, because... Labeling the postcard isn't enough. Sometimes the people in it have to be labeled too. Uh -huh. And her label is punishment for unflatterers. Huh. There's one, one of the postcard shows a man with oversized replicas of cards and dice on him. And his image is labeled the faker, <laughs> which probably means that he cheats it. He's a cheater. One shows a man in a woman, wooden cage being dunked dunked into a canal or a moat and it's labeled the baker's dunking because the loaves were too small. Uh-huh. So the baker is being shamed because he cheated. And we do know, you remember from um Yeah. Our, we we know of uh London bakers being paraded through the streets. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they were giving false weights for bread and or putting nasty things in sawdust them. in it. Yep. One shows two women connected by a v-shaped device that holds their hands and heads and it's labeled for contentious women so kind of like the the getting along shirt that is always made fun of but you make your children wear one big shirt one this one's interesting one shows a man in ankle chains and he's pushing a wagon under the direction of another man and that one is labeled punishment of forced labor which is interesting because that's more about the punishment. We don't know what crime that person committed. Oh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, what is it? It doesn't fit. One, there's two barrel related ones. One is a man in a barrel and it's labeled Spanish collar and it's labeled for drunkards, night owls, etc. And I love that the etc. is there. Yeah. In you can use etc. in early 20th century German. Who knew? <laughs> There's a, the, the second barrel is also painted with scenes, but the person is, the person in it is probably a woman given her shoes and she's wearing a mask that is similar to the scolds bridle and it's labeled punishment for sluttiness. Oh, really? And each of them, each of the barrels are painted with scenes that are about the person's crime or sin. My favorite, favorite one of the bunch. I actually kind of want to print of this one. The woman is wearing a truly spectacular mask that kind of looks like the Green Goblin from Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. It's bright green. It has big pointed ears, has horns, red bulging eyes, and a red tongue that's kind of hanging out insolently. And it's labeled punishment for evil woman. She's wearing a sign that says, Hustraka. 
house dragon. I want to be a house dragon. And the very last one is the Iron Maiden. Of course. And it is, uh, has, it has printing in it that says located in the pentagonal tower in the Royal castle of Nuremberg. And I finally figured out this morning about an hour and 15 minutes ago that this is why he made the postcards. He's piggybacking on the local tourist attraction to sell these things. Ernest Nister was an interesting dude. He published a lot of stuff. He, he specialized in ephemera. So he published postcards, puzzle books, and children's books. He published more than 500 children's books. This is, I apologize for the rabbit hole we're about to go down, but I could not stop. (laughs) (laughs) He's at the forefront of creating interactive children's books. Oh, really? Yeah. He is the generation before pop-up books are invented. He has things in his books that are dials that you hold onto a tab and you turn it. And so there's a dial behind it. Images appear and disappear. Wow. Or you might pull on a ribbon and things move. Just fascinating. I couldn't stop looking at this because I'm supposed to put in my head that he published all of these shaming postcards, but also lovely, innovative, cutting edge books for children. Whatever sells, I guess. One of the artists that he published is Lewis Wayne, who is an English uh, artist, whose anthropomorphic cat art in the second half of the 19th century sets the stage for the internet's obsession. In fact, I want to go back over here to the Wikipedia page about Lewis Wayne's because there is a delightful quote from H.G. Wells that I want to share with you about Lewis Wells' opinion of Lewis, H.G. Uh, uh, Wells' opinion about Lewis Wayne's cat art. So the cats do all kinds of things. We, they, you know, so we, there's pictures where the cat is out playing golf and wiping his brow. Cats are awesome. There it is. H.G. Wells said he made the cat his own. He invented a cat style, a cat society, a whole cat world. British cats that do not look and live like Lewis Wayne cats are ashamed of themselves. And this was one of the authors that Nister was publishing. So he's not in any way a backwater. And these things got reprinted. They were printed in the 1890s. They were printed in 1906. The Library of Congress has a set. Um, I found several sets for sale on different antique sites, but only one that contained, um, because it's a set of 10, but most of the ones that I found were sets of eight. And the Iron Maiden one is the one that is one that's nearly always missing, which I thought was interesting. Maybe that's the one people sent the most. I don't know. Yeah, Lewis Wayne, the artist with the cat, with the cat obsession. And there's a movie about him that came out in 2021 starring Benedict Cumberbatch. It was this, this topic was the never ending rabbit hole. I'll imagine it was. One of Wayne's books is a retelling of a German fairy story, a a folktale. It's not Wayne's book, but the folktale is the source for the movie Edward Scissorhands. It's about a boy who grows knives out of his fingers. Wow. Isn't that wild? I'm telling you this. I I just, I finally just, a few days ago, I went, I can't, I can't poke at Lewis Wayne anymore. (laughs) 
Well, if you if you decide you want to go into the English anthro anthropomorphic, the English <laughs> the English obsession with uh, animals that are acting like people, there's a lot you can do. There's a lot oh of places to go. I really was not aware that the entire. I mean, the, I don't know. My as we've talked about, my relationship with the 19th century is roughly like watching a train wreck in progress. <laughs> Yes, which you're going to be cleaning up for the next 200 years. It's a disaster, but I can't look away. Right, right, right. <laughs> They're so nuts. Oh, well, thank you for Lewis Wayne. How did, now, where, how, where was this, the, the trumpet, the trumpet of, how is it? <laughs> I'm going to get us back, I promise. All right, okay, okay. Okay, we're, we're two steps away at this point. Okay. I found Lewis Wayne because what I was trying to do, actually, was find the artist for Nister's postcards. Because I was hoping to uncover what source material the artist was using for these images. I found his name. Um, his name is Adolf Jadolfi, but I can't find I can find even less about him than I did about Nister. And I certainly can't find anything about what sources he used to create this set of postcards. Mm -hmm. But, okay, so what use, if any, was the deep dive into Nister's public shaming postcards? <laughs> it provides context for the shame flute image, which I think is really important. That it isn't this random kind of thing. It's part of the set. And in particular, when you look at the other postcards, the clothing in the set is very clearly not medieval. The clothing is 17th century. Right. That's not as clear when you look at the shame flute image by itself. But when you look at the set, it's real clear that you're, that you're seeing. Um, anybody who looks at this will say, oh, it's the Puritans. That's the time period we're talking about. It's their clothing. It's very clear. So even if Godolfi, G Godolfi had some kind of source for the images, it wouldn't matter all that much because it's clearly not medieval. It's, we're, we're back into the realm of early modern public shaming, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right. if it existed at all. I've ran across one academic article that is trying to make the case for shame flutes. Really? I did. But asterisk, it's not by... A medievalist or even an early modern scholar. It's in a an academic journal about torture that is looking at the ways in which it's a sociological uh, journal. So it's academic, but it's somebody stepping outside of their specialty to try to look at this. And that article is called He Plays in the Pillory, the Use of Musical Instruments for Punishment in the Middle Ages and the Early Modern Era. And it's attempting to use a painting of Bruegel's as evidence. I do not find this persuasive. And I don't find it persuasive for a couple of reasons. The argument is that before the specialty made pretend instruments, people would be put in the pillory and forced to play real instruments. So it's arguing that we sort of work up to the, the shaming and there's evidence um, of this showing up in the court documents? No. No, there's, there's not. <laughs> it, no. But it, so I read the article because I was sort of hoping it might have some insight into the evidence for the, um, the specially made fake shame instruments. Nope. It just, it just asserts that those really existed and cites the sketchy museum devices and then claims that the image in Bruegel's um, Nether, Netherlandish Proverbs 
shows it in action or shows in uh, the earlier step where they're being forced to play an actual instrument. The problem with the argument is that the painting is a set of literal illustrations of proverbs. So if the wife is making a fool of the husband, the saying is to put a blue cloak on her husband. And in the painting, you would see a wife. You do, in fact, see a wife literally putting a blue cloak on her husband. So the fact that in the painting, we see a man playing playing a, a fiddle on the pillory does not mean that anybody actually did that. Playing on the pillory is a proverb that means um, you're drawing even more attention to your misdeeds than you ought to be. Got it. It doesn't mean you're getting punished for something. Correct. Right. It's attempting to make a stretch argument. And I, th I th the article knows it's attempting to make a stretch argument, but I don't think it's ultimately um, an argument that works because of the, because the nature of the painting does uh, pushes. I think it's very problematic and impossible to make an argument about literality from this painting that is intended to be showing proverbs. Right. But I'm mentioning it because it is literally the only academic article I found trying to make a case for it, which, which means something, really. <laughs> if indeed this was something that was happening, we would see some kind of evidence, not perhaps not enormous amounts of evidence, not necessarily would survive, but we would see some kind of evidence in um, court documents. You know, people being made to do this because we've got lots of evidence of people being made to do various things uh, on account of naughtiness, but never heard of this. Nope. Here are my conclusions about the shame flute. <laughs> There's a very shallow well of information that is being used for big claims about the shame flute. The, the two items in the sketchy museums and a postcard. I don't really think that's sufficient to make the really big claims that the articles make and the articles all reference each other. This is a place for us to underline again, that just because it's on the internet and just because it looks like there's a lot of it on the internet does not mean it's real. Right. Things get repeated over and over and over and they're not always true. These, these articles are all citing each other and they're citing each other. Like it's a God spoke from the heavens kind of moment. There's no doubt whatsoever that this is true. I have a great deal of doubt. Yeah, I don't think it happened. I don't think it happened. Maybe, possibly, it's part of that early modern public shaming, but I just don't think I so. I don't think it's that. I think it's I something that's so. later as something that, that had been going on earlier, like things like the chastity belt, you know, yeah. and stuff that they weren't there, but uh, people believed them. My husband and I were talking about this. Like, what is the context? What is the scenario that it involves using one of these things, right? If a traveling musician comes to town and you decide they're terrible and you do to them what happens your town is blacklisted no traveling minstrel is ever coming to your town again makes no sense and if it's one of your neighbors you would just break his instrument that would solve your problem you wouldn't go i mean for fuck's sakes nobody's got the kind of spare time no to make one of these things come on no, and if you've ever been trying to sleep in a hotel room and there's somebody down on the corner making terrible music you know, that's just a piece of life. You don't like, what What are the mechanisms by which I may make this person incredibly ashamed? And it also, also, it's just not that big a deal. Some people played bad music. It's no big deal. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we want to be clear, there is public shaming in the Middle Ages. Oh, yeah. You know, 
There's public penance. Henry II Absolutely. had to do public penance after Beckett's murder. Murder. Marginal groups like lepers were shamed by the wider community. There, there is in fact a, a marked rise in the use of public shaming in the 16th and 17th centuries. I found it really interesting that the original meaning of chivalry was this. It was public shaming. If one of your neighbors annoyed you, you would go out with pots and pans and go to their home and draw attention to them. Mm-hmm, sure. And the charivari would be for when your neighbors were quarreling, like they wouldn't stop quarreling. Uh, it was a way of humiliating both of them at once so that they perhaps behave better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. These things existed. But this isn't one of them. What It's interesting. because. It, because these things existed, there because there were things like shaming in the Middle Ages, and because you know the, the Middle Ages like seems so far away, even if you're like a hundred years later, it's so far away. Clearly, they were doing all kinds of dreadful things. So if you can think up a dreadful thing, it must be medieval. And you know, you get that transition from it being like this thing you do to your neighbors to it being a like a formal legal kind of thing. It really happened. Daniel Defoe was pilloried in. 1702 because of a pamphlet he a satirical pamphlet he wrote called the shortest way with the dissenters which apparently was a satire of the high anglican approach to dealing with those who they didn't agree with and um basically it's it sounded a lot to me like um jonathan swift's modest proposal where you take the argument and you just push it out to the extreme and then you say it with a straight face and he got in trouble because a, a, a some high churchman didn't recognize that it was a satire and went yeah that's right we should banish everybody and hang the preachers <laughs> well i'm happy to say that i don't think that any of the english uh after reading jonathan swift said that's right we should you know we should eat the irish babies eat the irish babies i don't think they did so i'm glad that, that at least there was a moment there where the english were able to recognize satire against themselves yes once they tracked down who wrote it because it was published anonymously they offered a increasingly large rewards until someone ratted him out Defoe was arrested and sentenced to be pilloried three times. But what actually happened? I love this. His friends showed up with copies of works he'd written special for, specially for the occasion, one of which was called A Hymn to the Pillory. And they sold them to the crowd. Mm. And then the crowd did not behave the way the government had intended for them to. They didn't throw rocks at Daniel Defoe, they brought him flowers. So, you know, this is one of those moments that points out the danger of public shaming when it's being imposed by the government because it might not work the way you wanted it to. I'm I'm perfectly willing to believe that bad some bad musicians got shamed in the Middle Ages. I have no problem with that. In fact, it seems probable. But this whole device that's so difficult to make. That has to be a governmental thing, unless you're actually really some guy with a whole lot of money who's <laughs> your time yeah. making devices to go out and shame people with. And that's just not happening. And so, yeah. Yeah. No, no if, if you have a bad musician, you just run him out of town. Right. Or, or you don't hire him for the next you know, meal. You know, just heaven's sakes. I have one last little bonus for you from from Richard Rastel that is an actual connection between music and crime that existed in the Middle Ages. Oh, so we have a crime. We have a real crime. Well, it's not a music-based crime, but it is a connection between music and crime. And this is a sneak preview because the book won't be published until April. 
Okay. So he very kindly sent me this paragraph from a book that will come out next month. Sneak preview, sneak pre- preview. Sneak okay. preview. You heard it here first. The book is called Minstrels and Minstrel Minstrels and Minstrelry in Late Medieval England, and it will come out in April from Boydell and Brewer. So here is the paragraph. One regular type of minstrelry heard in the larger towns on a daily basis was rough music. The raucous, noisy music that accompanied criminals to their punishment. There are few records of this in the medieval period, and the function may be hidden in payments to minstrels for unspecified purposes. The records of London include several instances for which specific information is given. All are for punishment at the pillory or the ducking stool, none as it happens for the death sentence, and show that minstrels accompanied the miscreant from prison to the place of punishment and again on the return journey. The procession was a public humiliation of the criminal. The music drew attention to this, often in parody of the processional music used to accompany nobility and royalty. Isn't that awesome? That is. And not for the death penalty. No. Which is kind of like beyond that. This is this is for the smaller stuff. Yeah. To make sure that people saw, you know, you're enhancing the public shaming part of it. Right, right. Because you've got to have a way of um, announcing things. And so you've got to make some kind of noise. Yeah. And he, then he has um, then he has a sentence that tells us what instruments were used. Oh, what are they? Um, The instruments played are variously described as trumpets, trumpets and pipes, loud minstrelry, bagpipe or hornpipe. And there are hints that such processions were accompanied by at least drummers. So there were shame flutes. (laughs) In so much as people are out (laughs) playing the flute to shame criminals, Mm -hmm. (laughs) low level criminals who they're really, really hoping to reduce recidivism by yes. making it embarrassing because really the death penalty you're not going to reduce recidivism yeah nothing no gracious sakes <laughs> well thank you thank you are is that the end of our shame flute trove that is that is what i have for you it was a wild ride and 90 percent of it was bunk <laughs> Well, all of it was bunk concerning the Middle Ages, but some of it is true and it's in museums, but it's not medieval. Just go off, dear listeners, and be skeptical, particularly of torture museums. <laughs> yeah, don't go to the torture museums. Because you're learning a lot about 19th century neurosis and very little about medieval punishment. You got to make it there then, though, rather than here now. We don't do these things. They did them in the dark times before the light came to make us all really intelligent and play, paying attention to logic. Yay. Yay. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Oh, oh, for reals. I want a whole bunch of the mentions I'm finding about the shame flute are people wanting to talk about online public shaming and they're connecting it back oh, to really? this. Isn't that wild? Wow. How, so how is that working? Yeah, they're, they're saying this is a modern day. Well, um, har- harassing people online and publicly shaming them is just like this thing that used to happen in the past. The implication, of course, is that it's like, this is how we know it's barbaric. 
I forgot I didn't have that in my notes, but yeah, that's one of the places where it shows up the most is people who are opinionating about canceling people, online shaming. Well, online shaming does exist and, and it has very, very long roots because the humans are like to shame each other. But there was no medieval shame flutes, just saying. Or shame violins. I have strong doubts about them, too. No, there's no shame vi- There's no shame bagpipes. <laughs> well, this has been True Crime Medieval, where the crimes are just like they are today, only with less technology. We can be found on Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcast and all the places where the podcasts hang out. You can find us at truecrimemedieval.com. True Crime Medieval is all one word. And you can, there you can get, there's links to the podcast and the show notes and the transcripts, and you can reach both of us through there. And we'd love to hear your comments. Please let us know if you've got crimes that you believe we might might have missed, medieval crimes that we need to know about. We take them into consideration and actually most of them go on our list. They do. Next time we you hear from us, we will be discussing the time that Snorri Snurlsen was um, assassinated in Iceland. And what was it? 1241. 1241. All right. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing. And um, yeah. And yes, would... I'm looking forward to finding out why somebody murdered a poet. <laughs> yeah. Why would people murder a poet? Uh, or why would they shame musicians? If there's a theme here. <laughs> Except this really happened. <laughs> yeah, there really was this poet. <laughs> we have a bunch of his works. Uh, and uh, yeah. And I will be, um, I will be, I might not be completely back to normal, but I will be much more normal than I am today. And so with that, we say bye. Bye. Bye.